It's uh, good to be back with you again. I think I preached here once, perhaps in August of uh, last year. Um, and so this morning, I have the privilege of opening God's Word with you from um, John 13. So in keeping with the Lent story, this actually uh, pushes us ahead a little bit into what we call Holy Week. John 13, verses 1 through 17. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God, so he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then, Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew what, who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you do as I have done. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who has sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. This is the word of the Lord. Can we get my first sermon slide? <laughs> I know um, someone who lived in Cameroon, Africa, for many years. Uh, she was serving there as a Wycliffe Bible translator. And she was working hard to learn the language, the dialect, thank you, of the people in her village. 
so that she could translate the Bible into their native language so that the gospel could reach more people around the world. And these are some pictures of her life, and I'm showing them mostly to tie in with washing and cleaning and dirt. So this is um, the house that she lived in. Note that there are no cement patio stones. This is, uh, I think it was her roommate washing the dishes. So water is a precious commodity. You have some of it in a bowl. You use it wisely. And imagine you're traveling on roads like this, a lot of times by foot. And even if you had a car, it was likely to get stuck. This is the wet season, the rainy season. And I don't know if you see that there's a, a person with a bicycle who can't even ride it, has to push it along the road. And then this is what the road looks like even in the dry season, this red, red dirt, dirt, dust, everywhere. <clears throat> so one of the things she said she learned a lot about, one of the biblical customs she understood a lot better since living in Africa was the washing of feet. In Cameroon too, people were very concerned about what their feet looked like, whether that was bare feet or flip-flops or some kind of other shoe. Whether it's the dry season or the wet season, you always had the effect of the road collecting on whatever you were wearing on your feet. And it's a sign of honor to have clean feet, that people look at you like you're a more important person because your feet are clean and not terribly dirty. Maybe in the same way that we would look at a ragged person rather than someone who's well-dressed, but in their culture, it's the feet that can show that. And in fact, she told me that she often saw people in, in the city, in in Cameroon, buying tissues or Kleenexes, but the only thing she ever saw her, them use them for was to clean their feet and their shoes, so that whatever next place they were going to, they arrived with footwear. And I, I do admit to shining my shoes this morning, uh, at, in the car, actually. <clears throat> now, in Palestine at the time of Jesus, when you arrived as a guest... It was customary for someone to wash your feet, and not anyone. It was a servant or a slave. Um, you would, it would never be the host who would stoop low enough to wash your feet because that person had honor in the community. And in fact, even <clears throat> among different kinds of people, it's not a Hebrew servant or slave. Would, they would not wash the feet of another Hebrew but it would have to be a foreign servant or slave who did that because it was such a lowly thing to do. Washing feet was a job um, only a servant would do. And in Palestine, like in Africa, you were walking a lot, the roads were dusty, there were animals running around, and so you were very likely to arrive somewhere with very dirty feet, maybe even smelly feet, uh, with stuff that you didn't want on there. And 
even more so in this culture, it was important because when you sat down to eat together, you weren't sitting like at a table with everyone's feet down below, but you were often reclining and your feet were very near likely to someone else's head. So they had to be clean and your feet were on the furniture. So it was a very important practice. So why is Jesus washing people's feet? Well, let's unpack some things around that question. First of all, the opening um, of verse of John 13 marks a transition in the gospel. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world. Having loved his own, he loved them to the end. Before this, Jesus had been out and about teaching and preaching and healing, mingling with the people. But after this in the book of John, the setting gets smaller and smaller. In fact, in, in the frame, mostly are just Jesus, just the disciples of Jesus, and then the events of the final days. Scholars call chapters John 13 through 17, the formal name is the farewell discourse, which is just a fancy way of saying the goodbye speech of Jesus. So he's meeting with his disciples and giving them final instructions. And in fact, there are similarities between the goodbye speech of Jesus in these chapters and the goodbye words, farewell discourse of Moses in the book of Deuteronomy, when Moses also knew that he was leaving the people, and he wants to ensure that they stay alive in the faith and in following God, and he gives them instructions about how to live well and continue in it, and that's the same as Jesus in these chapters of John. They have similar words in their goodbye speeches, words like love, obey, know, live, remember, see, but definitely an emphasis on love. Now Jesus knows, as those verses say, that his earthly journey is almost over, and he pours out his love on those who were his own who were in the world. Jesus is going to be leaving the earth. He'll be going back to his father, and he knows that. But his heart goes out to those who are staying behind. He wants to be sure that they understand, that they know, and that they can continue in his ways, even when things get strange and confusing. And they are very soon going to get extremely strange and confusing. Now, why does Jesus care? Well, because they are his own. Out of all of those in the world, these are the ones that his heart is especially attuned to, that his heart goes out to. They're the ones who belong to him and that he loves deeply. And I think those of us who are in relationships, and we all are, whether they're family relationships or close relationships, understand this. Imagine that there is um, a school performance. And who do our eyes see? There might be 
35 children there or 250, and what are we doing? We're scanning. Ah, there they are. Who are our eyes drawn to? Our niece, our child, our grandchild, those of us, those who are our own in the program. They're the ones who hold our attention, that we wave to, that we smile about, that we nudge someone else. Did you see them? Jesus loves his own. He loved them back then, and he loves them now. And his love reaches out to you again this morning. God has a word for you in this story. And then there's some background to the story given. The evening meal was in progress. Well, why is this important? They were already eating. It's important because whatever Jesus does, he does deliberately. The meal had a certain order, and it should have just unfolded as it went. But instead, Jesus does something. The other detail that it tells us is that the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of, of Iscar- Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Why is that important? Because it doesn't stop Jesus from washing his feet. Presumably, he washes the feet of all who are present there including the one who will betray him. Knowing what is coming doesn't stop him from serving all who are there. And I think that's actually quite a profound detail in the story. And might Jesus be nudging some of us into that kind of servanthood? There's more background shared with us that Jesus knew the Father had put all things under his power, that he had come from God and was returning to God. John gives us this this little glimpse inside the heart and mind of Jesus. Jesus was secure in a certain knowledge that the Father had put all things under his power. In fact, if anyone in heaven or earth had power, it was Jesus. Can you imagine what that would feel like? I mean, what would you do if um, God put all power in your hands? If you could do whatever you wanted, what, what would it be? Do you have a bucket list that includes, you know, certain vacations or uh, purchases or moving somewhere? Or would your heart be moved to address some of the things that were prayed about this morning to um, either invade Ukraine? Is that what you would do? I got to take over more territory. Or would you say, I, I got to put Putin out of business. What are we going to do with all this power that we could do? Jesus could do anything that he wanted. Well, look at what Jesus does. Look at the little word that follows that knowledge of Jesus. So. So implies a reason. It means because of this, 
because he absolutely knew who he was, because God had invested all of the power in him, because he ruled everything. So, so, so what does he do? Plot a political uprising against the Romans? Cast the devil out of Judas? Whip his disciples into shape? Plot out a very detailed plan so that they will take over the world? No, this is what it says. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. He gets up from the table, the master, the rabbi, the leader. He stands up and begins to disrobe, takes off his outer clothing. In other words, he he stripped down to his loincloth, to his underwear, as it were, right in the middle of dinner. He stood up and did this. And then John goes on to carefully record the details. I can imagine the disciples watching all of this in stunned silence, as if in slow motion. I mean, if we were making a movie of this, it would slow down here and focus on these actions of Jesus and then pan on the disciples each as they're watching this. He poured water into a basin and began to wash their feet, drying them. Why is he doing this in the middle of the meal? I mean, their feet should have been washed when they came in, right? Could it be that there was no one to wash their feet when they arrived? There was no servant present. And none of them had wanted to stoop and say, okay, all right, I will do it. I will wash everyone's feet. And so Jesus waits to see if one of them will go first. Or is it perhaps that Jesus simply wants to make a point? He deliberately gets up at an odd time to act out this parable of love, this foot washing, to better help them understand What will follow after this? Either way, he's very intentional about it. Without words, he is preaching loudly. And his disciples are listening, whether they want to or not. I wonder, have you ever had anyone wash you? Well, the answer to that would be yes, but maybe you don't remember it. None of us would have gotten to our maturity as we are now without someone to have looked after us and washed us and cleansed us on a regular basis. Why did they do that? I hope it was out of love, not that it was that much fun necessarily. We all come into the world needy, and people have to take care of us for us to survive and thrive. And I know that some of us return to that state again as we age or an accident or illness, and it's not always that comfortable having to submit to the practice of being washed when you have been independent. And people either do it out of love or they grit their teeth and do it resentfully out of duty, Or they hire someone else to do it, which is also a fair option sometimes. As 
Mother Teresa explained about her work with the poor in Calcutta. She said, I try to give to the poor people for love what the rich could get for money. No, I wouldn't touch a leper for $1,000, meaning I'm not going to do it because you say you're going to pay me, and yet I willingly cure him for the love of God. Jesus is doing that sort of thing for the disciples. Washing feet is an intimate kind of activity. I mean, you're stooping in front of someone. You're bending down. You don't have a conversation. You don't meet their eyes. And you can't wash someone's feet without actually touching them, right? And touching them where they're filthy, it's, it's awkward, and you're down there getting wet and dirty, all so that the other person can go clean. You are saying, I will extend myself so you can sit. I will work so you can rest. I will get dirty so you can be clean. Does that sound at all like Jesus to you? Is this the Jesus you know and experience? Let me tell you another little detail. Where Jesus, it says, took off his outer clothing. The other um, meanings are remove, lay down. So he removed things in order to become a servant. Well, it's the same word that's used in John 10. I am the good shepherd and I lay down my life for the sheep. I lay down my life. I take it off. I set it aside. I count it as not important to me, or at least not as important as something else. And the something else in this case is the well-being of my own who are in the world. They are more important to me than my own life, my own status, my own power. And so the foot-washing ceremony is a symbol of the cross. It's a parable of what Jesus did by hanging on that tree, beaten and bloody and flesh ripping on the nails that held him there. He was feverish and thirsty, getting down and bloody and wet and dirty, doing all the work so you can be clean and rest in his work. And so I think there's a question in this text for us. There are many ways that we could go, but are you willing to let Jesus wash you clean? Can you let him come close enough to see the grit, the dirt, the wounds? And then can you give them to him? Allow him to touch you. Can you be vulnerable with Jesus? Are you willing for him to be intimately close with you? Maybe another way to ask the question is, can he be your servant as well as your Lord? You know, I think it's easy if we've been in a Christian church for a long time to concentrate on Jesus as master and Lord, and and of course he is. But that makes our position in relation to him as the people who need to obey. Jesus says something and I obey, or maybe I don't obey so well. 
And we don't really want to be washed by Jesus. We want to shine for him. We want to do things for him. We want to look good for him and for those others who love him. We do for Jesus. And it's a little bit like Peter, isn't it? Peter who says, you're never going to wash my feet with the implication being, um, I should be washing yours, you're the Lord, don't do this to me, don't touch me. But Jesus says, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. In order um, to begin this relationship, in order for you to become one of my own, you need to submit to my foot washing. You have to let me do it to you first. So, so give it to me, says Jesus. Give me the dirt. Put it in my hands. Expose it to me. Put that, that fear, that anger, that resentment, that unforgiveness, that anxiety, that persistent sin. Give it to me. Because I have water for cleansing. And I am bent down here before you, ready to do for you, to be your servant first, to do for you what you cannot do for yourself. So surrender, confess, let go. You need to be washed, just like I do. We need to be washed by Jesus Because the reality is that the ability to twist power, to invade another country and take what isn't ours, it's in each one of us too. The ability to use others, to grab for money, for status, it's in each one of us too. There but for the grace of God, go I, go we. And it's only the cleansing of Jesus that can save me. Save us. Only the blood of Jesus can cover me and wash me clean. So wash me, Jesus. Wash us. Come close enough to see our imperfections. Close enough to hold and cleanse. One of our early church parents, a man named Origen, he died in 254 A.D., He prayed this prayer in response to this story. So may we also pray this. I'm going to show it on the screen, and then I'm going to lead us into prayer. Jesus, my feet are dirty. Come, even as a slave to me. Pour water into your bowl. Come and wash my feet. In asking such a thing, I know I am overbold. But I dread what was threatened when you said, If I do not wash your feet, I have no fellowship with you. Wash my feet then, Jesus, because I long for your companionship. Let's pray. Jesus, We have done confessing through song and through prayer. But we do it again in response to your word. Knowing that compared to your holiness and your shining cleanness, 
we have unclean hands and dirty lips and broken hearts and unclean thoughts. And we do ask that you cleanse us anew. We try to surrender all that we are again to you this morning. The places where we have locked doors and refused to let you in. By your grace, bring healing and cleansing. So that as we walk with you symbolically through the final days and your crucifixion, we can live along with you. And that your dying will be our dying to sin. And your rising will be our resurrection to new life in you. Thank you for the power and presence of your Holy Spirit to lead us in your ways. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people say, Amen. Thank you for listening to the Willoughby Church Sermon Podcast. The Willoughby Church Podcast Network also has podcasts about discipleship, the Heidelberg Catechism, and even a podcast hosted by some of the youth. You can find out more about the Willoughby Church Podcast Network by going to willoughbychurch.com.